We're in Acts chapter 19. Man, we're almost to the 20s. And so, listen, it's been wonderful going through the book of Acts this past year. And we still have great and awesome things before us. Last week, as we finished chapter 18, remember we saw Paul arrested and we saw Paul delivered. And we saw those who dug that pit for Paul fall into it themselves. And then we saw Paul leaving Corinth, going up through Ephesus on his way to Jerusalem to keep the vow of a Nazarite that he had taken unto the Lord. And we talked about what that was. And just, it was really him wanting to be separated to the Lord, to humble himself and to even be more used by God Almighty. And then at the end of our study, we were introduced to Apollos, uh, a Jew with a, a Greek name from Egypt who was mighty in the scriptures. And he was proclaiming the gospel there in Ephesus. And Aquila and Priscilla heard him teaching and saw he needed some more understanding when it came to the baptisms that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. And we talked about that. And that really ties into what we're going to look at this morning. And before we talk about that, I just want to read the passage. It's seven verses, and then we'll briefly touch on what we're going to look at, and then we'll get into the Bible study. So notice there in Acts 19.1, it says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some of the disciples, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now the men were about 12 in all. So this morning, we're gonna consider these 12 disciples, kind of talk about how they perhaps got where they were and Paul meeting them and so forth. And more than that, though, we're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit of God because they're like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And I think there's a lot of people in that place today, well, there's a Holy Spirit. And just, just uh uh, a, a real lack of understanding when it comes to the person of the Spirit of God. So we're going to talk a little bit about who the Holy Spirit is. We're going to talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, gifts of the Spirit, touch on that, and then even this baptism and filling and empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God. And this is something I've done like 20-week series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, obviously, we're not going to cram that in today, but this is gonna be an overview of these things. And I have more notes for you this morning. And a lot of those notes for you this morning are notes for you to have for reference and to continue in a deeper study of these things today. And then we're also gonna talk about the, the doctrine of laying on of hands because that is a biblical doctrine as well. And we're gonna talk about the hands laid on these men and the receiving of this baptism of the spirit of God and I got a list there of all the different places in scripture where hands are laid on to uh, you know what bring forth the ministry of the Lord and then actually at the end of the service this morning after the last worship song 
myself and Pastor Ron and Jerry, who's an elder here, and our wives are gonna be up here to pray for anyone that would like to have hands laid on them to be prayed for today. And it, it won't be a counseling time, but it will be a time to offer prayer. And so keep that in mind as we're going through the passage today. Maybe you have an ailment and you just wanna get prayed for. You know, the Lord's gonna stir your heart today to say, I wanna get filled with the Spirit. I want that baptism of the Spirit or I want gifts of the Spirit, whatever that would be. And listen, we, we don't counsel God on what to do, but we wanna follow his counsel and he's told us to lay hands on and to, to, to ask the Lord and, and then God gives according to his perfect timing and his perfect will. And so... Let's get into the text here. Verse one, it says, and it happened while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul having passed to the upper regions came to Ephesus and finding some disciples. Now, why is Apollos mentioned here? I don't think it's just to update us on what's going on in his life, but this links back to us just seeing him there in Ephesus, bringing the gospel and Aquila and Priscilla giving him deeper instruction in the way of the Lord, uh, specifically in the baptisms of the Lord Jesus Christ, because he was only familiar again with the baptism of John. And we gotta remember as well that it's interesting, Paul previously had been forbidden even to go to this region. And now the Lord is opening this door for him after going to Macedonia to come back through, he went to Jerusalem. Now the door is completely unlocked for him to go there again. And I have to wonder if perhaps part of the delay was God was using Apollos to go and plant some seeds there, giving Paul more time to pray and go water those seeds that had been planted by Apollos for the Lord to bring the increase and then on top of that, Lord willing, we'll see next week as we continue in Acts 19, there were great strongholds in Ephesus. There was a great practice of witchcraft there and occultic uh, you know, worship of the queen of heaven and so forth. And God had a perfect timing in all of these things. Again, the Holy Spirit had forbid them before and closed that door. And yet God was still working. And perhaps Paul was thinking, boy, we got to get there. And yet Apollos had been there. And Apollos had planted some seeds there and had ministered to people there before Paul ever had even got there. It's just interesting. And I think it's an encouragement because there's sometimes when there's places and people on our hearts that perhaps we're not able to practically get to them to minister to them. And when that's the case, make no mistake about it, that's when all the more we want to be in prayer because believe it or not, God has disciples all over the place. God has a remnant all over the place. And I think that should be an encouragement for you this morning. If perhaps you have loved ones or people that you care about that are off in far places and you're like, I'm just here, I feel kind of helpless in being able to minister to them, get on your face and pray. I have no doubt Paul was praying for Asia that was on his heart. And while he was praying, God was doing a work there that Paul was oblivious to. And it's just a glorious thing. And now the door is open for Paul. And again, he comes across these disciples that had been evangelized even when the door was closed to Paul himself. And notice verse two, it says, he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit 
when you believed. So they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Now again, these individuals are called disciples. In the New Testament, when people are referred to as disciples, unless it specifically says that they're a disciple of an individual, it's assumed that they're talking about them as being disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. We also see that they had believed. They had believed in the Lord. They were disciples of the Lord. And Paul asked this question. I'm sure he asked many questions, but this is the question that the Holy Spirit moved upon Luke as he penned the book of Acts to record because this question is no small matter. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Now listen, when they believed in the Lord, there's no doubt that they received the seal of the Holy Spirit because Ephesians 1.13 says, in him you also trusted after you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and whom having believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. These are disciples. These are believers. And yet he asked, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Well, absolutely, whether they knew it or not, and whether people know it or not, when they put their faith in Christ, they received the indwelling of the Spirit of God or the seal of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit baptizes them into the body of Christ. That's not what Paul's asking here in context. He's asking them if they had received the baptism or the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is also seen in the fact as we just read the text, they say, we don't even know if there is a Holy Spirit. And so Paul lays hands on them and they receive this empowerment that is followed by gifts of the Holy Spirit versus them praying to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. So he's asking them, have you received that empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God or the baptism of the Holy Spirit? Now, maybe some of you are here today saying, well, what is this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Well, John the Baptist first talked about this in Matthew 3, 11, when he said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandal I'm not worthy to carry. And notice, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. Now, we touched on this a bit last week. Again, Apollos was ignorant to many of these baptisms. He had, again, heard the proclamation the Messiah was coming. This is 20 years after Christ to come. He knows Jesus is Messiah, but he is not familiar with these baptisms. Again, these, the, the, the church was being developed here. The New Testament was being written here. These guys were learning more every single day. And so no doubt they informed him on that baptism that John had talked about, this baptism that comes from the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus talked about this baptism. In John 7, 38, Jesus said, he who believes in me, as scripture has said, notice here, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But he spoke this concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. And so this speaks of a, again, a baptism and then a outflow of the work of the Spirit of God in our life that's not us in our own human efforts trying to accomplish the things of God, but God Almighty working through us through the Holy Spirit of God. 
so that out of our life, there's not this trickle, but there's this great torrent of living water of power manifest in the believer's life that's affecting the world around them. That's causing some to say, these guys are turning the world upside down. We want to imprison them. We want to persecute them. And is moving others to say, what must I do to be saved? I want to know who this Jesus is who you worship. That's bringing forth the fruits of the Spirit of God in our life. That is transforming us to be more like the Lord Jesus Christ and so forth. And then after the disciples had received the Holy Spirit, we read about this in the latter part of the Gospel of John after his resurrection. It says, he appeared in a room where the disciples were, and he said, peace be with you, receive this Holy Spirit. They were sealed with the Spirit. After that, the Lord told them in Acts 1.8, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. We know they went and they waited upon high. They were tearing in the upper room there. And on Pentecost, we know that the Holy Spirit was poured out upon them in power. We know they spoke with other tongues. And that occasion, it was to be a witness to all the Jews from all the different regions that had come to Jerusalem to celebrate a Passover. Not all of them spoke Hebrew. Many of them spoke a little Hebrew and the language in the, in the nations or the places they were from. And they heard them declaring the things of God. Then Peter got up and preached the gospel in, in, in a prophetic utterance. And 3,000 were added to the church. It was a great move of God Almighty that they could have never mustered themselves. Now, it's interesting with this filling or this baptism of the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, we do see some receiving this baptism at the same time they receive Christ. We know Cornelius, who we talked about a, a, a number of months ago. Upon hearing the gospel, him and his household, they were baptized with the Spirit of God. There's other places in Scripture, though, where we see this again as a second event after they believe in the Lord. The church itself, that 120 in the upper room, they had received Christ. They had received the Spirit of God. And yet on Pentecost, they were baptized with the Spirit. We saw in Samaria, Philip went down and preached the gospel to them. And then after that, John and Peter came down and laid hands on them to receive this baptism or this empowerment or filling of the Spirit of God. Paul himself gets saved. He gets blinded when he gets saved. He goes to Ananias at the leading of the Lord, and he lays hands on him for healing and also for the baptism or the filling of the Holy Spirit of God. And this is what we see here as well with these 12. They believed. They were disciples. And then hands are laid on them, and they receive this baptism. Now, I love this. When Paul asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? I love these guys' honesty. They're like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. I just love this. Because instead of to save face, they don't go, oh yeah, yeah, we know all about the Holy Spirit. Have you ever been guilty of doing that? Where someone telling you about something and you don't have any idea what they're talking about. You're like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I know that. And sometimes we do that out of pride because we're thinking, man, I should know this and I don't know this. And if I say I don't know this, I'm gonna look like an idiot. And let's face it, let's, let's face it, sometimes we say that because 
We don't want a deeper explanation. You ever been there? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I'm not necessarily condoning either of those things, but it's what we do times. God grant us grace. I love it, though. These guys are humble. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And when I read that, I thought of James 4, 6, where it says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And listen, in their humility, great grace was about to be poured out on them. I also thought of Proverbs 16, 11 that says, honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. And if that's the case when it comes to commerce, how the more is that the case when it comes to our hearts? When there's honesty before the Lord, God blesses that immensely. Be honest with God. You can't hide anything from him. He already knows. Be honest and real and humble before the Lord. Good things always follow that. Also, listen, in their answer, I think there's a few things for us to consider. I look at this, and we got to remember, we read chapters and verses, but none of that was ever in the original text. This flows from last week. This flows from, again, Apollos being there, only knowing of the baptism of John and Ananias or uh, Aquila and Priscilla teaching them, and it seems in context It was teaching about the baptisms of the Spirit of God because it flows right in here where we see another example. These are believers, the disciples, but they didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit of God. It seems to link these things together that the Lord was concerned about people knowing about who the Holy Spirit is and them walking in that fullness of power that God has available for them, their children, and as many who are far off as we read in Acts chapter two. We're the far off this morning. We're the far off ones. And yet God's concerned about us as well. This also gives more assurance that, listen, salvation this morning is based on the Lord Jesus Christ. Aren't you glad that we're saved through knowing the Lord and we're not unsaved by what we don't know? These guys are called disciples, they're called believers, and yet, and it wasn't a willful rebellion in their ignorance, and just in the fact they didn't know this truth, they weren't unsaved because they didn't know there was a Holy Spirit. I find great comfort in that. Now, this isn't a call for ignorance to us. Well, I'm saved, so I don't want to learn anything else because I don't want to be responsible for that. That, That's not what God's called us to us either. He wants us to be in the word growing and, you know, in the understanding of who he is and who we are in him and and so forth. But listen, this also reveals a great truth, a great truth that was true back then and unfortunately it's true today. And it's the fact that when it comes to the person and work and the ministry, the baptism, the gifts of the Holy Spirit, there's an incredible lack of biblical knowledge and understanding concerning these matters. There's a lot of ignorance when it comes to the person and work of the Holy Spirit. This is why when Paul was led by the Spirit to write those in Corinth, he wrote in 1 Corinthians 12:1, now concerning spiritual gifts, and listen, what spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts given by the Holy Spirit. He says, concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. You know that you were Gentiles carried away to these dumb idols, however you were led. So there was ignorance in that church concerning the gifts, the person, and the work of the Holy Spirit. And sadly, listen, with all the access we have to to 
scripture and Bible tools. And, and listen, there's been a lot of good preaching as well on the person and work of the Holy Spirit over the years. Despite all that, there's a great ignorance today concerning the person and work of the Holy Spirit. A couple recent surveys. This is a survey that was done to adults across the board. A majority of U.S. adults, 59% said they believe the Holy Spirit is just a force and not a personal being. That's ignorant. We're gonna see in the minute that's not the case. And maybe you're saying, well, that's the world. Of course they're ignorant about the Holy Spirit. Yet amongst professing Christians, 38% strongly agreed and 20% agreed somewhat that the Holy Spirit is a symbol of God's power or presence, but not a living being or person. That's incredibly ignorant. 60% of Christians don't know that the Holy Spirit is God Almighty, that he is personal, that he wants to personally work in your life, that when Jesus said, I don't leave you as orphans, the reason he said that, because he did a great teaching on the Holy Spirit who would come and abide in us and have fellowship with us. We shouldn't be ignorant on these things. And yet there's great ignorance, and hear this, Satan loves it that way. Because where there's no spirit, there's no fruits of the spirit. Where there's no spirit, there's no gifts of the spirit. Where there's no spirit, there's no power of the spirit. Where there's not a work of the spirit, you know what you get? You get the efforts of man. And man can imitate the things of God for a season. Heck, some people can do it season after season after season, but that's building a house of cards on sand and eventually it implodes. Also, when there's no real work of the Holy Spirit, oftentimes you get another spirit at work. And when there's no really fire of God that accompanies the work of the Spirit of God, you get a strange fire. And we don't want to be falling into any of those places. So again, who is the Holy Spirit? I'm going to go through these next few you know, things fairly quickly. I'm, I'm, I'm going to reference things, and I have notes for you guys this morning for your own personal study. This isn't an all-inclusive list about the ministry of the Spirit of God. Again, done 20-week studies on this before, but it's an introduction for some. It's a reminder to others. Maybe for some folks, it will help, you know what, things click in their mind that they never quite got before. First of all, again, the Holy Spirit is not a force, but a person. He has all the attributes in Scripture of what it takes to be a person. A person, number one, has intelligence. Notice 1 Corinthians 2 10 through 11, it says, for to us, God revealed them through the spirit for the spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him, even so the thoughts of God, no one knows except the spirit of God. That's an attribute of a person, intelligence. It's not artificial intelligence, but it's intelligence. The Holy Spirit has emotion. Robots do not have emotion. Your skill saw that has power, when you plug it into the wall, it has no emotion. You have emotion when it doesn't cut right. It's indifferent to your emotion. Ephesians 4.30, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit has a will. The chair you're sitting in this morning does not have a will. It's not there saying, 
I really wish this person would get up and not be sitting on me anymore. If these two chairs here are not sitting, saying, why are all the other chairs filled and we're sitting here empty here? I wish someone would, I'm just gonna get up and get, go get someone in my seat. But notice 1 Corinthians 12, 11. But one of the same spirit works all these sayings, distributing individually just as he wills. The Holy Spirit has intelligence. The Holy Spirit has emotions. The Holy Spirit has a will. The Holy Spirit in the scripture is grouped with other known persons. Matthew 28, 19, Jesus said, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then we also know that one who is a person is referred to in a personal pronoun. And notice John 16, 13, Jesus speaking of the Holy Spirit. What is this? Seven times he refers to the Holy Spirit, not as a force, an it, a thing, but instead he refers to the Holy Spirit as a person, as he. Notice there, John 16, 13, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into truth for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will disclose to you what, uh, what is to come. He shall glorify me, he shall take of mine and he shall disclose it to you. So if there's anyone here this morning that's part of that 60% that came in thinking, well, he's just a force. I hope that's been put to rest right now. We're barely scratching the surface when it comes to the person of the Holy Spirit. We also know the Holy Spirit is God. Now we read in Isaiah 44, 6, the Lord say, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. In multiple places, we read that there is only one God. And this is where people struggle because they say, well, then who's God? Is the Father God or is Jesus God too? And what's the Holy Spirit of God? And this is something that goes beyond our ability to fully understand. And if anyone fully understands that, say they, says they fully understand that, they're lying to you, we can't. We read in many places like Matthew 6, 26, the Father's called God. Jesus is called God in Hebrews 1, 8, John 1, 1 and 1, 14, and 1, and, 1, 14 and many other places. The Holy Spirit is called God amongst other places in Acts 5, 3, and 4. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they're all called God in the scriptures, yet there's only one God. Well, how can both be true? They're one God, and yet they are three individual beings. And now some people say, I can explain this. Give me an egg. You got the shell, you got the white, you got the yolk. Ta-da, you got God. It's not that simple. Some say, well, it's like us. We have body, we have soul, we have a, a spirit. And that's probably your best bet for, a, for, for a, an example. But what we see is that there is one God and there's three persons of God that at the same time are one and at the same time are singular. I receive that by faith. I have no problem with that. I rejoice in that. I thank God that my God has revealed himself to me in the plans of salvation, yet he's greater than my peanut mind. That's a glorious thing. And again, throughout the scripture, we, we, we see the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit working in conjunction. 
There at Jesus' baptism in Matthew 6, 13, it says, when he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And it's just a beautiful picture. We see God the Son, God the Spirit, God the Father all ministering together. As we just read, Jesus said, go make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And then think of 1 John 5, 7. It says, there's three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, who is Christ, and the Holy Spirit. These three are one. So the Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a third person of the Trinity. And now some of the things that the Spirit of God does, he convicts. Before you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit was active in your life, convicting you. He did not dwell in us. God does not indwell in non-believers. There's a lot of false teachers that teach that today. God isn't everybody. No, before we came to Christ, God did not indwell in us. He did not have that communion with us, but God convicted us. Jesus said of the Spirit of God in John 16, 8, and when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and judgment of sin because they do not believe in me. We know that when we get saved, and if you're not saved, you need to get saved. Getting saved is when we confess our sin, we put our trust in Christ to be Savior, we acknowledge his death and resurrection, and we ask him in humility to be the Lord of our life. When we get saved, we get sealed by the Spirit, and we read in Ephesians 1:14, he becomes the guarantee of our inheritance. We have a guaranteed inheritance because when we believe we were sealed by the Holy Spirit of God, that's a glorious thing. And then amongst other things, and this list is much larger and broader, but these are some basic things that you should be aware of. I have scripture references here for you. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer, Romans 8, 9. The Holy Spirit is our helper, John 14, 16 through 18. The Holy Spirit washes us, regenerates us, and renews us, Titus 3, 5. The Holy Spirit illuminates our eyes to understanding, 1 Corinthians 2, 12. Listen, when you read the word, when you get into it, pray, Lord, send your Holy Spirit to illuminate this word to my understanding. The Holy Spirit counsels us and teaches us, John 14, 26. The Holy Spirit guides us into truth, John 16, 13. I love this, the Holy Spirit comforts us. Man, we need that comfort. John 14, 16. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us, Romans 8, 26. Jesus makes intercession for us and the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us, for you as well. And the Holy Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we're children of God, Romans 8, 15 through 16. And then on top of this, the Holy Spirit gives spiritual gifts. And we'll talk more about this here in a bit. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14 goes into deep detail of many of the gifts of the Spirit and the operation of them. Ephesians and Romans touch on some other gifts of the Spirit of God. But notice verse seven, it says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. 
And then verse 11, it says, but one and the same spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. He gives gifts to us not to be put in a shelf, not to be buried in the ground, but to be exercised through his strength according to the word, to the glory of God, for a witness to the world and the building up of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit, as we've already touched on, deeply desires to empower us, not just at an initial baptism of the Spirit of God, but a continual filling and refilling day after day in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. We refer to Pentecost when the church was baptized with the Spirit, and then it's interesting, a couple chapters later, they're being heavily persecuted. They begin to pray to God, and as they're praying to God, it says in Acts 4.31, and when they had prayed, the place they were assembled was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. So again, this was a group of people that had been sealed by God. At Pentecost, they had been filled with the power of God. It was poured out through them. And then just some days later, they're filled again with the Holy Spirit of God. Again, this is an ongoing process of daily asking God to fill us with power from upon high, inviting the Lord to again overflow us with the work of the Holy Spirit that all these things and so much more beyond this that we read in scripture is functioning in our lives through the spirit of God working in our lives. Now listen, when we abide in Christ, the Holy Spirit bears great fruits in our life. Jesus said in John 15, five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. We'll talk here in a second about quenching and grieving the Holy Spirit, which is an issue for a lot of folks. But when we're abiding in the Lord, this doesn't mean that my, I'm, I'm perfectly, pra- practically I'm perfect now, so now the Spirit of God can work. No, it's abiding in Jesus. It's walking with the Lord. It's bringing our struggles before God and being honest and real with the Lord, being a worshipful people, a people of prayer, a people of the Scripture. Abiding means it's where you dwell. When we're in that place, the Holy Spirit bears fruit in our life. Galatians 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Again, we can try to muster those things up. God wants to supernaturally birth these things in our life through the Holy Spirit When we're yielded to the Son, we're abiding in Christ. The opposite of this, though, is when we willfully sin, when we get hearts full of pride, when we don't want to abide in Christ but in the world, we quench and grieve the Holy Spirit of God. 1 Thessalonians 5.19, do not quench the Spirit. Do not despise prophecies. Test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain every form of evil. And when we're engaging in evil and shunning what is good, when we're despising God's word and not wanting to walk in his counsel, we're gonna quench the spirit of God. Those fruits are gonna dry up. We're gonna be powerless Christians that have a, at best, a trickle coming out of our life when God says, I want a torrent of living water flowing out of your life. And then Ephesians 
429 says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. And all around this passage talks about, you know what, not allowing foul things to proceed from our hearts and it addresses issues of the heart like being filled with bitterness and spite and so forth. Listen, the Lord knows we struggle with these things. Be honest with God with it. Lord, I'm having a hard time forgiving this person. I need your help. God wants to empower that prayer by the spirit of God. But to go over and say, I don't need Jesus. I'm justified in being angry with this person. They were a jerk to me. That's gonna quench and grieve the work of the spirit of God in your life. And all it's gonna do is, again, well, it's gonna do a whole lot. It's not gonna be a place of refuge for you. It's gonna be a place of destruction. Now, when it comes to this baptism, when it comes to sign gifts in the scripture, Many of you have probably heard before. Maybe some of you this morning have been taught. Maybe some of you are sitting here saying, saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. This stuff's not for today. There's people that teach that. Oftentimes, it's the group that kind of exalts themselves as we're the Bible scholars. So we know. These charismatics, they're the... You know what? They're led by emotion, but we're the logical ones over here in the word. What they don't realize is oftentimes when you shun the spirit of God, the baptism of the spirit, the gifts of the spirit, which I'll touch on are clearly for us today scripturally, it's very easy to move into dead orthodoxy very, very quickly. Where we're having a Bible study and yet there's no unction to walk in it. There's no move of the Lord. Just as when you get in the other place where it's all about the gifts, but we're gonna shun the word, dude, it becomes wacky charismania overnight. And everyone says, these people are loony. It gives way for another spirit oftentimes to be at work and for a strange fire. Why do folks preach that and say that? Listen, I, I've, I've, I've been around the church. I'm 51 years old. I've been around the church for 41 years of my life. And for the 10 years I was away, the Lord was pounding on my heart every single day of that. I think I can give a fairly good answer, at least from what I've heard, why some people don't believe that. I would say the number one reason is the abuse of the gifts of the Spirit, uh, bringing in strange fire of free-for-all, which produces, again, chaos, where you get a lot of people, they're not in the word of God, but they want the next great move of God. I call it, I call it treadmill Christianity. You're always running, but you never go anywhere. They just, they, it's just like they're, they're like a hamster on a wheel. We're running to the next thing. And it's like, the, the, you think this is powerful, but it, there's no impact being made. Listen to what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1423 says, therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and their common one or those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will he not say you're out of your mind? And a lot of this charismania, it's completely unscriptural. It's, it's like ignorance on fire. It's chaotic. And a lot of people step back and they say, these people are out of their mind especially when it's often followed by scandals and, and works of the flesh, like what went on there in the church in Corinth. A whole lot of people say, ah, this can't be of the Lord. The second reason for this that I see is a poor and twisted reading of 1 Corinthians 13. 
It says in 1 Corinthians 13, 8, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will fail. Where there's tongues, they will cease. Where there is knowledge, it will vanish away. For we know in part, we prophesy in part, but when that which is perfect is come, that which is in part will be done away. And the group that says there's no baptism of the Spirit today, there's no sign gifts today, they say the perfect's when we got the completion of canon. When the New Testament was completed, that day, the last dot that was put on the page, boom, all the gifts of the Spirit that are sign gifts ceased and the baptism of the Holy Spirit ceased. I find that interesting. Then why do we have so many chapters on how to use the, or you know, how we're to operate in the Spirit of God if we're not now supposed to do it? It's like giving a gift with an operation manual, and then once you got the gift, they're saying, oh, give me that back. That doesn't apply. Plus, if you go on to read the context, it tells us what the perfect is. When I was a child, I spoke as a child, understood as a child, thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know just as I'm known. The perfect in context is when we see the Lord face to face, when we pass from this life to the next. Also, listen, there has to be a complete ignoring of the two witnesses in the book of Revelation. Because this group says the gifts of the Spirit, the sign gifts have ceased. They're no longer in operation. Yet go read Revelation 11.4. We read that in a time soon to come, God's going to have two witnesses. Many believe it will be Elijah and Moses in Jerusalem. And guess what they're going to be doing? They're going to be performing signs and wonders and miracles and moving in prophetic utterance. If these things are ceased, how can these guys operate in these things? Listen, the gifts of the Spirit, it's not like the McRib. It's here for a bit. We take it apart. Then it's going to come back. You can't have it both ways. And then greater than that, there has to be a willful ignoring of Acts chapter 2. Because when the Holy Spirit is poured out on that day and they're looking for explanation, God turns Peter to the book of Joel. As Joel prophesied the pouring out of the Holy Spirit in the last days. And Peter quotes Joel in, in Acts 2.17, and it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters shall what? Prophesy. That's a sign gift. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on my maidservants and or my men servants and maidservants, I will pour out my whole my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. So you're telling me that ceased at the ascension or at the, the closing of canon? Yes, the last day started at the Lord's ascension, but we're deeper in them than we ever have been before, and we need a work of the Holy Spirit of God more than ever in the history of the world. Also, in giving explanation of this, in Acts 2.38, Peter said to them, Repent, let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Notice, for this promise is to you, your children, to those who are far off, 
and as many as our Lord God will call. In context, this isn't just referring to the seal of the Spirit, but the baptism of the Holy Spirit, that this massive group came running over when they heard them speaking in tongues, declaring the things of God in their native languages. Verse three, we gotta get going here. And he said to them, and to what then were you baptized? And he said, and to John's baptism. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. Again, this isn't a small matter. Paul had to ask many questions. This is the one that was recorded. And Paul says, Basically, he's commending them. You know, you're baptized into John's baptism of repentance. That's what you knew. But based on what comes next, no doubt Paul taught them about the baptisms found in Christ. Because he asked, have you been baptized uh, or, or what baptism? And he says, yes. But John talked about the one that will come after. Listen, this isn't referring to them not knowing of Jesus. Because what comes next is not them praying to receive the Lord. We read they were their disciples and they believed. It's them receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Notice verse five. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now this should make a step back and say, wait, what? I thought we were to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We just read that, right, in Matthew 28. We are. That's the pattern found in the word. And we'd have to believe they were. So what's this baptism in the name of the Lord Jesus? Notice what happens. Paul doesn't dunk them in water. Paul lays hands on them and prays for them and they receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Listen, the baptism of the Lord Jesus is praying for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Because remember what John declared in Mark 1, 8? He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. When you're saying this, fill me with your spirit, it's a baptism that comes from Christ himself. And again, we see this in what we read next. We don't read about water dunking. This isn't Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch what forbids me to being baptized and him taking him down to water? This is the baptism of the Lord Jesus, which is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He lays hands on them and the Holy Spirit comes upon them or came upon them and they spoke with tongues and prophesied. Now there were about 12 in all. Again, they had believed in Jesus. They're called disciples. They're called believers. They'd been sealed. Now they're receiving that baptism. We see people receiving this through different avenues in scripture. Again, those in Cornelius' house believed the gospel. They were sealed and baptized. These men have hands laid on them. Those down in Samaria had hands laid on them. Paul had hands laid on them. And yet the Lord also talks about just simply asking. Luke eleven thirteen. 13, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much, how much more will your father that implies believers. He's our father through faith in Jesus. How much more will your father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? And this is where we should ask daily. Fill me with your spirit, Lord. I'm yielded to you. I need your help to yield to you. I'm asking by faith. 
Now, very quickly, listen, the laying on of hands is a fundamental doctrine. The writer of Hebrews talks about this in Hebrews 6. He talks about wanting to talk to them about the doctrine of laying on of hands. He doesn't get time to do that, but he establishes it as a doctrine. This is the Lord moving through his body, the head moving through the body to impart ministry from God unto his church. Again, 1 Corinthians 12, we read about us being the body of Christ. We most often see this happening through office positions in the church. Ephesians 4.11, he's given some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the ministry, the edifying of the body of Christ. And James 5.14, it says, are any sick? Let the elders anoint them with oil. It's them laying hands on people. This doesn't say that it's limited just to the church leadership, but it's a laying hands upon people for an imparting of the ministry of God. Here we're reading about it being the baptism of the Holy Spirit, simply laying hands on people who want to get filled with the Spirit. I have all these lists there in your notes, and in all these instances, we see a laying on of hands for ministry, physical healing, spiritual deliverance, the impartation of gifts of the Spirit, separation unto service, the raising of the dead, impartation of spiritual authority for leadership, spiritual blessings, various miracles, and an impartation of strength. Now, quick side note, be discerning. 1 Timothy 5.22, Paul tells, tells Timothy, don't lay hands on anyone hastily lest you share in their sin. And then we read about Simon the sorcerer in Acts 8 who desperately wanted that ability to lay hands not to the glory of God but to practice witchcraft in the name of Jesus Christ. There's a lot of that today. A lot of people moving in divination that don't honor the scriptures, many not even knowing that they move under a strange fire and another spirit that want to try to impart something to you. Be careful what they might impart to you. Lastly here, we see after hands are laid on, they receive this baptism, and in this case, it's followed by gifts, tongues and prophecy. Now, we read about these gifts, again, in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 through 5. And we're told that tongues are basically the least of the gifts because it only edifies the hearer unless there's an interpretation. But it says we should all pray for the gift of prophecy because when we prophesy or declare God's word and power, all are exhorted and comforted and they're edified. They lay hands, these gifts are manifest. Sometimes we see that in the case in scripture. Sometimes we don't see that. Paul had hands laid on to receive the spirit. He got gifts, but they were manifest at that time. He got a healing. I remember as being a, a kid, probably about six, seven years old, and the baptism of the spirit being talked about, and they said, hey, if you want to receive that, come forward. I remember going forward. I don't remember anyone laying hands on me, I remember there was a little boy understanding what had been taught, praying, and receiving the gift of tongues as a small child. I didn't tell anyone about it. 
I didn't stand up and do I want a Honda in the middle of the, the sanctuary. I recognized that God had given me a gift and, and God used that gift even when I was backslidden in some very dark times trying in desperation to get right with God. God gave that gift to me. I know others I've, we've prayed for, they've asked for that empowerment. Those initial gifts weren't seen, but that's okay. Because listen, the initial gift, the initial sign is as important as receiving by faith and asking daily. Think about King Saul. He prophesied once, and then the next thing, he's consulting witches. It's about an ongoing walk with the Lord, saying, Lord, fill me with your spirit. I want to be empowered by you in the day that is before me. And then the last note with all this, I can't believe we almost made it through. The last note is, listen, hear this. For hands to be physically laid on, which is a biblical doctrine, are you ready for this? We have to physically come together. And I have no doubt about it that one of the agendas that Satan has had in this last year is to keep the church from coming together, from laying physical hands on one another, from breaking bread with one another. Because we're told not to forsake the assembly of the brethren as is the manner of some in Hebrews 10, 24, and so much the more to do that as we see the day approaching. I'll give you another one, Proverbs 18, 1. A man who isolates himself seeks his own desire and he rages against all wise judgment. The book of Habakkuk says, the just shall live by faith. Now again, I don't wanna fall into a place of a legalism or being, making unrighteous judgments. I know everyone's situation's a little bit different, but it's important that we gut check and say, why am I walking in what I'm, in, in what I'm doing? Am I moving in faith and isolating myself? Maybe for some people they are. But the Bible speaks specifically against isolating ourselves, forsaking the assembling of the brethren together. And one of those reasons is because we need to interact with one another, pray for one another, lay hands on one another, break bread with one another, see one another's faces. I'm hearing a lot of reports from a lot of people who haven't been around anyone for a year and they might not have got the COVID. I know a lot of people that have done that and have gotten the COVID. Oh, that's strange. But one thing I'm hearing from all, almost all of them, I'm drained. I feel beat up. And you know what I'm hearing from people that are coming out and fellowshipping? I'm invigorated. I'm getting on fire for God. So let's walk by faith. Now listen, we're, we're, we're at the bottom of the hour I know the worship team has prepared another song, uh, but I'm gonna call an audible. And I appreciate you guys preparing that. Listen, what I wanna do is, is I wanna close in prayer and, and um, I'm gonna invite Jerry and Ron. In fact, if someone could get Shannon, she's teaching and I told her to come up after the last song and there's not gonna be a last song. Um, myself, Pastor Ron, Jerry's gonna be up here with our wives and listen, if you wanted to get prayed for this morning, this isn't counseling time. This isn't like, my liver's bad. I'm gonna give you a 10 minute story of how I got to this place. God knows that. If I got a bad liver, let's, let's pray for you. This is, hey, you know what? I, you know, I've wrestled with what's the baptism. I get it now. And let me give you my backstory. I, I'm gonna get prayed for. 
You know, maybe it's just, I, I, I wanna move in the gifts God has for me. I know I went through that list quickly. Maybe you just need encouragement today. You need to be strengthened today. We wanna invite you to guys to come up and get prayed for. And, and what I wanna encourage you guys all here to do is while folks are coming up, listen, you're, you're welcome uh, to get up. And, and I would encourage you to fellowship. There's room in the patio. There's room in the foyer. There's room out here on the grass. Don't just go run in your car. I gotta get home for that Super Bowl. I don't even care who wins that game today. <laughs> listen. <laughs> and, and if maybe you're not gonna come up, but you, you just wanna think on these things, I wanna encourage you to stay in your seat and just pray. Pray where you're at. Let's have a time just before the Lord of waiting. Does that sound good? And if you wanna go on the foyer, man, fellowship, laugh, high fives, interact. But in here, let's, let's just, and, and there's no judgment either way, right? We got freedom in this place. But let's have opportunity for this and um, let's close in prayer right now. Lord God, I just thank you for all these saints here, God. I thank you for your people, Lord. And oh Lord, I hope and pray, God, that God, I've brought forth a biblical presentation of these things. Lord God, we, we know, God, that we need you, Lord. I, I know there's a lot of people that look at this and they get caught up in little schematics and little things. I, I hope we'd all agree that, that we need the work of the Spirit of God in our life. And we'd all agree that there's times when we grieve the work of Spirit of God in our life. And so, Lord, we wanna be a, a church that's grounded deep in scripture, and yet a people, God, that are moving, not with a trickle from the hand of man, but moving from power upon high. And so, Lord, pour out your spirit on our church today. Can we all say amen to that? And on every family here and every individual, and Lord, as we open up the altar for prayer, God, I pray folks would, would come accordingly and out of faith, and maybe some just are being moved just to ask, meet them where they are, and listen, if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, today's the day of salvation. Maybe you don't know him. Come up. We'll pray with you to receive Christ today. You can ask him to be your Lord where you're at right now. He'll meet you where you are. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so bless us as we close here, God. Just shine your face on these folks. Just thank you for every single one of them. What a blessed morning we've had, Lord. Let it, let it continue just to, to abound. And we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.